Good morning. Today's reading is from Psalm 133. A song of ascent of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And we go to the New Testament. We're reading from Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every, every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thanks, Joe. <clears throat> just got a text from uh, Mark just before, who's been in hospital, just saying he's getting discharged, which is good. Mark is one of the other ministers here. Uh, he said he's still in, in pain, uh, not on as strong a medication, uh, and they're still not 100% sure of the diagnosis. So keep praying for Mark and Alicia and Rory. Um, and yeah, that the doctors will find what's going on, but also that he'll he'll uh, not lapse back into that kind of abdominal pain that he's had. Now, in in lots of areas in life, um, you can be either idealistic, you know, a bit kind of a dreamer, a a bit kind of naive, or you can be pessimistic, you know, maybe a bit bitter and a bit cynical. Now, our personalities, they, they tend to push us towards being one or the other. And sometimes our circumstances in life push us toward being one or the other too. So you can, you can start marriage or start work or, or parenting kind of uh, very optimistic, idealistic, a bit, a bit naive. But somewhere down the line, you can find yourself pessimistic and even a little bit cynical. But one of the great things about our faith in God is it helps protect us from both naivety and cynicism. Have you noticed this? It helps protect us from both. We're protected from you know, cynicism down here because we see things like marriage, work, parenting as amazing complex gifts from God. And yet at the same time, we're kind of protected from naivety 
Because even though we see them as amazing gifts, we know they're still just gifts. We know they can't bear the weight of fulfilling us, of giving us meaning in life. And we're also protected from naivety because we know that even though they're amazing gifts, they're actually tainted. Our selfishness will always touch everything in our lives and it will distort our marriage, our work, our parenting. And we, so, we know it would just be naive to think those kind of things. Work and parenting and marriage are just going to be dreamy and smooth sailing. But even still, even when we feel disappointed by human selfishness, by our own, by other people's, even still we're protected from cynicism because we know that God will one day redeem all things from human selfishness. That's what we saw last week in Jesus, the lion and the lamb. God the Son comes to the world to make a way for us to come back to him. And the plan is that when Jesus returns, he'll rule the world where our selfishness is just done away with for good for all time. God's plan is a world where work and and human relationships and everything is, is redeemed, restored, And so how could we be cynical about these kind of things, knowing that God has a plan for them? And more than that, we know that God not only has a future kind of plan for them, we know God gives us a calling now to live out that plan in our lives. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul spends the first three chapters outlining God's plan, outlining this plan. And then finally, in in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, in in view of God's plan, in view of his grace to us, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We're a people who, who have a huge calling. We're called to know God's grace shown to us in Jesus And we're called to live in God's grace as as we live for Jesus. That's not an easy calling. In in the midst of a world that's really pretty hostile to God, really pretty obsessed with self, and really pretty messed up, a mix of idealism and and a mix of cynicism, we're called to live in God's grace as we live for Jesus. And it's kind of right for us to think, how is that even possible? And part of the answer is, well, we've got God's Word. Part of the answer is, we have God's Spirit. And a big part of the answer is, we have God's people. God gives us each other. But um, if you kind of think about that, don't you think that's a it's a little bit concerning, disturbing even. I mean, how do people feel about God's people? How do you feel about God's people? Well, think of other Christians, you know. How do they feel about God's people? How do they feel about church? Because I reckon we're prone to be either naive or cynical. We can be naive and think, you know, life amongst God's people is going to be great. It'll be easy. It'll be all joy, love, peace. But then on the other hand, and, and, and maybe more commonly, right, 
we can be cynical and we think God's people are no different to the rest of the people in this world. They're irritating and petty and sometimes not particularly intelligent, creative or fun to be around. Now, being you know, naive or, or cynical, it, it isn't really a good idea when it comes to marriage, work and parenting or anything really. But you know, when it comes to God's people, naivety and cynicism is particularly toxic. Because God's plan to restore his world is not by means of our marriages or our work or our parenting. Those, those things are all touched by God's plan to redeem the world, for sure. But the way God rolls out his plan to restore his world is by people being joined to Jesus, which also means being joined to his church. If we're naive about church or cynical about church, then we're actually saying to God, I'm I'm not sure what you think you're doing, God, but I know what I would do. And let me tell you, it would be a whole lot better than this. Now, naivety is being wishful about how things should be. And cynicism is being bitter about how things should have been. But neither are loving God or loving his people. Now, if you kind of like had the time to kind of examine your own heart, I wonder which of these two you would lean towards. Some of you would know instantly. For some of us, it might take a bit more thought. Do I lean towards naivety? Do I lean towards cynicism? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he he wrote about Christian community and he said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming. Because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. Do you love the idea of what you think church should be? Or do you genuinely love this bunch of flawed people sitting around you? And do you love them? just as they are right now. Last week, we saw the flowing from God's love for us. We're driven to be a people. We can't help it, but be a people who love God. But we don't stop there. We want to go on to be a people who genuinely love God's people. And today, we're going to focus in on on this central part of, of who God wants us to be, what He wants us to be on about as a church. Loving God's people. And we're going to do this by looking at a part of Ephesians that uh, Joe read for us just before. Now, like I said, in the first three chapters, Paul outlines that God's plan is for Jesus to rule this world restored. And we can be a part of his plan simply and, and only because of his grace shown to us in Jesus. And as we join Jesus, we join his people. Because it's through his people that that Jesus is now working out his plan 
in his world. We see this in, in chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, when, when Jesus had beaten sin and death, when he'd risen victorious, when he'd taken his seat on the throne as the ruler of this world, what does he do? Well, he leads his people, and we see how in verse 11, we see Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There are three really important things to see here about how Jesus is working in the world. So did you notice there's a body? There's a goal for the body. And then there's how that body gets to the goal. So verse 12. There's the body of Christ. Verse 13, there's, there's the goal of a, a people who attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then back in verse 12, the way we get there is as we all serve in an equipped way. You could put it like this. Um, being a member of the body matters. Growing towards maturity as a body matters. And the way we grow is, is as we serve or, or minister. The way Paul describes the church is as Jesus' body. And I don't know about you, but I, I find this imagery just takes a while to kind of get my head around. I get a little bit grossed out by the idea of ligaments and stuff like that. So it just sort of takes me a while to get my mind around it. Now, Paul, though, he's not saying Jesus has lots of bodies. That's the first thing we need to see here. He's not saying, you know... Each church is one of Jesus' many bodies. But at the same time, Paul isn't saying that, you know, Trinity is like Jesus' foot and, you know, maybe Modbury's one toe and Golden Grove's another, another toe and Tea Tree Gully Community Church up the road is like a knee or something like that. He's not saying that. Paul's saying the one church, the one body of Jesus is fully expressed in each local church. The body of people here, we fully express the one body of Jesus. So it's more like I'm a toe and you're a knee and someone else is a finger and so and so, but we have the whole body covered here. So think about what this means, what this says to us. It says if I'm connected with, with Jesus, our head, I need to be deeply connected with his body, his people. I can't just sort of pick and choose my connectedness to you i can't drop in here or there to a church just because i want to if i get something out of it but never properly connect you know if you, if you kind of push the imagery a bit go, go with the imagery to just sort of drop in here and there but but not connect with the church is like someone waking up one morning and finding they've got a third arm on their body you know one of them's kind of floppy and doesn't really do anything. It, it, it's kind of handy, but it's also useless. And then when you wake up the next day, it, it's gone again. And then a month later, there it is again. You know, our calling is not to be a floppy arm <laughs> that just shows up occasionally in random places but belongs to no one. Our calling is for deep connection to each other as the one body of people. 
and to be there playing a critical part among those people. We see this again in the next part of Ephesians 4. I mean, it is just so important. Um, Look at verse 14. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunningness and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's what immaturity, immaturity looks like right there. Instead, speaking the truth in love, that's what our ministry looks like. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. This is the goal again. This this is maturity. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. You know, this is who we are, members of each other. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work that's how we get to the goal this is ministry again now this is a metaphor of all of us belonging to jesus and belonging to each other it's all about becoming the kind of people that match the kind of lord and savior that jesus is it's all about becoming the kind of people that match the kind of lord and savior that jesus is Now, think about who Jesus is. He's amazing. I mean, he's so wise and so good and yet so humble and sacrificial. So powerful and yet so gentle. What sort of people should be his people? Well, the amazing answer is people like us. Self-orientated people who aren't really like him at all, but people who have experienced his grace and are being transformed by him. Becoming mature is about being a people together who match this leader more and more. Not because we get closer and closer to becoming equal to him, but because we follow his lead more and more. In some ways, maturity is is that we become like him, we become like Jesus. But in other ways, maturity is just that we stand in awe of who he is. Perfect maturity is perfect trust in him as our leader. Perfect maturity is perfect obedience to him as our leader. Now, are we there yet as a people, as a body? Well, we're not, are we? Will we ever get there in this life? We won't, will we? But will we grow more and more as a people who match this kind of leader? Well, the answer to that is it depends. It depends on whether we will serve each other and help each other grow to be that kind of people. I don't know if you know much about the the abolition of slavery and and how that came about. But I'll tell you what it wasn't like. It wasn't easy and it wasn't one person's work. Many of us um, think of abolition and and we think of William Wilberforce, right? But it wasn't William Wilberforce. It was a whole body of people all playing different roles, all working towards the same goal. Do you know, it took quite a few people 
quite a few times just to recruit William Wilberforce to the cause. It wasn't that he wasn't on board with the cause, but Wilberforce, he never felt sufficient to the task. He always said if they found someone who could do the job better, then they, they should just go with them. But they never found someone better. He was their representative to Parliament. In the abolition of slavery, there were all sorts of people doing all sorts of different things. Those recruiting Wilberforce, those funding and, and distributing accounts of what slavery was really like, written by former slaves, those writing and printing pamphlets, those like Josiah Wedgwood, uh, a business owner and a, and a potter who produced a, a campaign logo that says, Am I not a man and a brother? There were those collecting petitions. There were those in the background just changing the hearts and minds of family and friends. Every single person was working, doing different things, but they were all pursuing the same goal. The cause that we're on about, it inspired the abolition of slavery. It inspired all sorts of things like universities and hospitals. It will inspire many more. But it in itself is a greater cause than any other imaginable. Our cause is to be the people who will one day see all things restored forever because of our Lord Jesus. Our cause is to be his people now and to to call others to, to join him before it's too late for them. That's what we're a part of. And it's why every single one of us working, doing different things, but all pursuing the same goal, that's why it is so important. We can't just leave things to chance. Loving God, really loving God, means we need to go on to love God's people like this. In my ute, some of you have seen my dodgy ute, if you change from um, third gear to second gear too fast, it crunches. Actually, pretty much every time it crunches. But anyway, you have to take it really, really slow. But what I want to do right now is a kind of fast gear change that might feel like a massive kind of crunch. You can tell I've been um, teaching my oldest son to drive. Now, we've been talking about how we're all members of, of Jesus' body through faith in him. We've been talking about how the goal for all of us is is a maturity that's fitting to match him and that we get to this goal by all of us ministering. And we've been talking about these things in a fairly sort of high and lofty way. But I want to crunch down into second gear now and, and look at some of the pretty practical, ordinary ways that these things work out in our church life. We're not going to be able to cover them all. I'm just going to kind of give you a sample and really hope that when you talk about these in your community groups and other times, you can flesh it out a bit more. But we're going to do that now. And first, we're going to talk about membership. Now, we don't have formal membership here as a church. You know, there's lots of good reasons to have a formal membership, and there's also some good reasons not to as well. Membership in the body, it it comes from having faith in Jesus and being committed to him and his people. So, If you've given your life to Jesus, if you see Trinity Church Modbury as as your church family, then we regard you as a member without any other kind of hoops to jump through. And being a member here, it means lots of things. 
Things like um, being here regularly on a Sunday. This isn't a kind of rules thing for us. It's a, it's a relationship kind of thing. You can't love and serve others if, if you don't know them and spend time with them. We need to prioritise each other. And, you know, when you prioritise one thing, it always means sacrificing something else. Like, I'm convinced that it means saying no to Sunday sport and, and things like that, which stop us from seeing each other often. For young people, it means getting to bed at a decent time on Saturday so that you can wake up on a Sunday morning. Loving each other, it just doesn't even get off the ground if we don't even give each other time to see each other regularly. Another thing that membership means for us as a church is we should welcome each other, really welcome each other, and especially welcome those who need it the most. You know, a church where the welcome is genuine is is an amazing place, but the opposite is true as well. If I come over to your place and you just keep watching TV or just chatting to a friend that's there and, and you don't even acknowledge that I'm there standing in your lounge room, how long do you reckon... I'm going to feel comfortable there. Maybe less than 30 seconds. You stretch it to two minutes, and I think I'm just going to quietly slip out the door. It's one of the most unkind experiences that you could put someone through. Even if you were to look up and sort of go through the formalities, but your heart's not in it, that's not much better. Do that to someone, they'll probably never want to come to your house again. When we do that to someone God loves... How do you think he feels about it? When we do that to someone who doesn't know God, they come through our doors. How do you think God feels about that? Right near my house, there's um, there's a centre for youth called Talk Out Loud. It's it's all about trying to stop youth suicide. Imagine if if someone you loved, a teenager, walked through those doors seeking some kind of help and they just ignored or half cared for that person. That's unacceptable. We are the, the body of Jesus in this world. We must not tolerate the thought that someone would walk through these doors interested in Jesus half interested in Jesus, a quarter interested in Jesus. And we would not do everything we possibly can to help them take a step forward with Jesus. Whether they know him already or not. Whether they're just here, you know, visiting interstate and we're never going to see them again. Even if they're from Melbourne, we should welcome them. It's our calling. It's our calling to share God's open, welcoming heart. And our calling is, is not to welcome someone one Sunday and then dump them there on in. You know, some of the loneliest times in a church can be when you've been here longer than a month, but less than a year. Because you just don't quite have your people and you don't quite know your place. Our calling is to be those people's people and to give them a place in our lives. What this means practically is that before church starts, during the break, after the service, we all have the one job. Make sure we care for those who need it the most. And that starts with 
those who don't know others. And then if you see that they're being cared for, then look around and, and see those who are just kind of floating, a bit lost. Ask God to point them out to you. And then after you, you connect with those people, make sure you connect with those in your community group so that you can keep going deeper in those relationships too. And if you notice that someone in your community group is, is not here, make sure you, you check in to make sure they're okay. Send them a text. Membership is all about you know, genuinely, authentically caring for each other. If someone doesn't watch a crow's game one week, no one really cares, right? If they're disillusioned, understandably, and they miss a season, as long as they don't go on about it or become a port supporter, nobody even notices. But if someone is sick here, or is disillusioned here, or drops off here, that should feel like losing a finger. It's not just the job of each one of us to care, it's the job of us to notice and to do something about it, to reach out with love and with grace. Now, there's heaps more that I could say about loving each other in these kind of practical ways. We could talk about being early, leaving late as a way of loving people like we sometimes do. We could talk about reading the weekly email as a way of knowing what's happening in the life of your church, getting things into your diary. You can't really love people if you're not even really aware of what's happening. We could talk about giving to the work of church here, not letting others carry us. That's another way to love God's people. But I warn you that we're going to be quick. We're going to crunch through the gears. So we're going to leave membership behind and we're going to move on to some things that ministry means for us as a church. And we're going to do this a bit quicker. We've, we've got a bit of a saying here, which we should say more often, but it goes like this. Serve a few people in many ways and serve many people in a few ways. So serve a few people, that's your community group, in many ways. Serve many people, that's all of us here, in just a few ways. So for us as a church, the primary place that pastoral care happens is in community groups. These are smaller groups where we can really get to know each other and really serve each other in lots and lots of different ways. So the way we do things as a church is we encourage you, serve those in your community group in, in heaps of ways. Look out for each other, make meals for each other, pray for each other, help each other move houses if that's happening, visit each other. Know what's going on in each other's lives. Go to the, the funerals of significant people in each other's lives. Serve a few people in your community group in many ways and then serve many people here in just a few ways. And in fact, we've got an approach as a church for, for serving that, that helps us kind of do this. We say serve in just one area on a Sunday. And this usually means serving once every three weeks. This enables us to kind of really invest in that serving and to go deep, but, but not to burn out as we do it. Now, if you're not serving on a Sunday, the body needs you. Right now, there's someone serving in children's ministry who's, who's probably one of our most gifted singers as a church. Are you a gifted singer? Would you like to sort of come up and lead our singing? 
If no, then maybe you could free this person up by doing kids' ministry. Now, I know it's not always that, that simple. Um, but can you see how we need each other? I've just depleted the morning tea and the, the welcoming rosters, if you lead those teams, and I haven't told you that yet. I'm sorry about that. Um, but it means we need people to kind of step up now into welcoming and a morning tea. My point is, as a church, we actually really need everyone to serve in one place on a, on a Sunday so that we can together care for our children and together care for our youth, together care for new people, together care for each other. Every single person counts and makes a huge difference. Now, I know that actually some of you would love to serve, but you're just not able to, and I don't want you to feel bad at all. I remember um, a couple of years ago, one of you guys said to me uh, that you felt bad because you can't serve on a Sunday. I, I think you were around 80 then. And I pointed out at that time that you were bringing every week with you an 85-year-old who couldn't drive herself here. Not all ways of serving are formal, and that's okay. But if we all play a role informally, and those of us who can serve formally, it massively helps us love each other. Another thing loving God means for us is that serving shouldn't be limited to a Sunday, though. If I'm honest, I actually reckon as a church, we've, we've focused on Sundays a bit too much over the years. It, Sundays are critical, don't get me wrong, but we also it's critical also that we serve each other midweek. And so across this year... I want to ask us all, and I don't mean just now, I mean over the next kind of few months, I want to ask us all to consider, could we serve somewhere midweek as well? You know, this is things like leading a community group or hosting a community group. This is things like serving in play group or on the evangelism team or being a, a table host for life. Or Our, our musicians actually do this already. They, they practice midweek. They're serving us on a Sunday and midweek. Our, um, our kids' leaders do this. They prepare midweek, then they serve on a Sunday. But there's some things that we want to start doing as a church that, that we need um, people to step up if we're going to be able to, like someone to organise a meal roster, people to make meals. You know, it's, it's not necessarily a huge thing that we're asking time-wise. It's maybe like making a meal once a month or something like that. But as we grow, we actually need more organised ways of helping us love each other better. Now again, there's, there's heaps more that could be said about ministry, but we're going to come to our final area, maturity, and, and we're going to finish with this. The primary place we as a church try to help each other grow in maturity is in our community groups. Now I said before that they're the primary place where pastoral care happens, and that's true, but... The main purpose of our community groups is not actually about pastoral care. They're about maturity. They're places where, where God's word is central, not just places of academic learning, but places where we wrestle with applying God's word to our lives in community. Our community groups are all about Bible, prayer, and community to grow the whole maturity of our church that's what they're about and so if you're not in a community group can you can you see why we encourage you to be in one it's because we want you to be loved by God's people in these ways 
And on the flip side, we also want you to be loving God's people in these ways. If, you know, I know for some of you it's just not possible to be in a community group, can I encourage you to think about other ways that you might be able to love God's people like that? Maybe it's meeting up with just one or, or two other people around God's word so that you can kind of do the same thing. Now, there's, there's heaps more that can be said about maturity and about all these things, but you're actually going to be discussing these in your community groups this week. And so I'm going to just hand that conversation over to you to keep having, uh, and I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, uh, we stand in awe of our leader, Jesus. There is just no one else like him. God the Son become truly human, representing us in beauty and perfection. Lord, make us a people worthy of the calling he's called us to. Make us a people fitting for him, our leader. We know you're doing that work, Lord, and we just thank you for it, that your spirit is at work in us, that you've given us each other. Lord, help us to all work hard but sustainably in ways that formally and informally urge each other on to be the kind of people that you want us to be. Help us to see that this is not just something that enriches our lives. This is the way that you are rolling out your redemption of this world, your restoration of all things, that one day your people, the body of Jesus, will live in this world restored with him as our head forever. Lord, help us to see what's at stake and just how important this work is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.